ever faced a task so daunting, so huge, so beyond imagination that you wondered how it could ever get done? Well, let's watch this next clip and see what we think. Gentlemen, the 3000 block of Las Vegas Boulevard, otherwise known as the Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand. Together, they're three of the most profitable casinos in Las Vegas. Let me see. This is the vault at the Bellagio. It's located below the strip, beneath 200 feet of solid earth. It safeguards every dime that passes through each of the three casinos above it. And we're going to rob it. Smash and grab job, huh? Slightly more complicated than that. Oh, yeah. This is courtesy of Frank Catton, new blackjack dealer at the Bellagio. Okay, bad news first. This place houses a security system that rivals most nuclear missile silos. First, we have to get within the casino cages, which anybody will tell you takes more than a smile. Next, through these doors, each of which requires a different six-digit code changed every 12 hours. Past those lies the elevator. This is where it gets tricky. The elevator won't move without authorized fingerprint identification. Which we can't fake. And vocal confirmation from both the security system within the Bellagio and the vault below. Which we won't get. Furthermore, the elevator shaft is rigged with motion detectors. Meaning if we were to manually override the lift, the shaft's exit would lock down automatically and we'd be trapped. Now, once we get down the shaft, though, then it's a piece of cake. Just two more guards with Uzis and the most elaborate vault door ever conceived by man. Any questions? No, tunneling is out. Their sensors monitoring the ground 100 yards in every direction. If a groundhog were to nest there, they'd know about it. Anyone else? You said something about good news? Yeah. The Nevada Gaming Commission stipulates that a casino must hold in reserve enough cash to cover every chip it play on its floor. That means, on a weekday, by law, it has to carry anywhere between 60 and 70 million dollars in cash and coin on the weekend between 80 and 90 million on a fight night like the one two weeks from tonight the night that we're going to rob it 150 million without breaking a sweat now there are 11 of us each with an equal share you do the math exactly i have a question mm -hmm. say we get into the cage and, and through the security doors there and down the elevator we can't move, and past the guards with the guns, and into the vault we can't open. Without being seen by the cameras. Oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, well, say we do all that. Uh, we're just supposed to walk out of there with $150 million in cash on us without getting stopped? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Ever faced uh, an imaginably difficult situation and wondered how in the world you were ever going to get it done? Maybe it was a huge project at work. Maybe it was a looming house renovation that just kept going on and on and on. I have some personal pain in that area. Maybe it was losing weight. Uh, maybe it was trying to make amends in a relationship that had struggled for years where there is this kind of complexity and, and where things have gotten so convoluted that it's difficult to see a way forward to any kind of reconciliation. Or maybe it's just a hidden daily battle with depression, with this huge mountain of, of struggle that it seems like you're not able to get through. 
Well, when the odds are stacked against us, and the task is enormous, we can feel like Danny Ocean's Eleven, preparing to stage a, an impossible heist. You know, the vision is grand, and the, the reward is immense, but possible? Not likely. Today, we're finishing our five-week series on being God's church on purpose. And we've been exploring what it means for us to be the church of Jesus Christ with a purpose, with a focus, with, with a goal. And we've been, we've been uh, exploring the great commission of Jesus, which are the last words that Jesus shared when he um, spoke to his disciples in the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament, right at the end, chapter 28. Jesus spoke these words to them to give them their purpose, to give them their marching orders. And, and, and just to remind you again, these, this is what he said. He said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. This is Jesus, the Lord of heaven and earth. And based on his authority, he says to his disciples, Therefore, because I have this authority and you are my followers, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And that's what we've been exploring the last uh, four weeks. We've explored this. We've taken it apart. And maybe you missed one or two, and you should be able to listen to them on our website if you'd like to catch up. But what a vision Jesus gives to his disciples. He, he puts in front of them this goal where there, there's both uh, a vision of the world and a vision of what God wants to do. There's men and women and boys and girls from all nations of the world coming to know Jesus, coming to know his purpose and his life and his freedom knowing that they're loved, knowing that they're forgiven, knowing that they've been accepted and redeemed and they've been filled with the Holy Spirit and they've been given this purpose, they've been baptized, and as we talked about that, being included into the triune life of God. And as the Holy Spirit works in them, they're learning to apply the words of God to their life. And they're seeing life change happen as they follow Jesus, as they live obediently to this King of heaven and earth. It's a huge vision. It's all-encompassing, and it forms the heart of who we are as the church. And to be God's church on purpose, this is who we follow. This is what we do. In the Revelation of Jesus, the last letter in the Bible, we see this grand vision fulfilled. And it's sort of unfolded before us in one of the visions that John has, uh, uh, that Jesus gives to him. John sees the redeemed people of God as, and I'm now reading from Revelation 7, A vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, who is Jesus. Earlier in Revelation, that's made clear. They, that's this vast crowd, they were clothed in white robes and they held palm branches in their hands and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. This is the vision that Jesus has for the world. This is the goal that he has and he sets it before us, the church, and says, that's where I'm heading. That's my goal. When I look at the world and its brokenness and its struggle, when I look at the pain, I look at the relational breakdown, I I look at people who who don't have a, a clue how loved they are, how special they are, I long to see people healed and restored and come to know who they are and how much I love them and the purpose I have for their lives. 
This is what Jesus is aiming for, and it's what he's calling us to do, the church. To make disciples of people from every nation, every tribe, from every people in every language, from the people you work with, to the people you go to school with, to the people you interact with every day, to the people only occasionally, to people you have never even met. To make disciples of accountants and carpenters and dairymen and fruit farmers and homemakers and truck drivers and doctors and atheists and Muslims and Buddhists and people of absolutely no religious affiliation whatsoever. This is our calling by Jesus, to be the church, making disciples of all these people. And this vision and revelation is held up for us to look at and to see this is where we're going. This is what we're aiming at. We've been charged with this task, with this commission, this calling by Jesus himself, the Lord of heaven and earth. But dare I say it, it's like we've been called by Jesus to participate in the greatest heist of all time. Which, by the way, is an analogy Jesus uses. He does compare himself to a burglar in the Gospels. (laughs) Rescuing people. Rescuing people from the brokenness and from the sin and and seeing them come to life in Jesus. Rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into purpose and freedom. That's our commission. But I have to ask, as this picture has been painted even this morning, but the last number of weeks, I've got to ask, and I'm sure some of you are asking the same question, like, how's that going to happen? Like, are you serious? Me? Us? I mean, look around. Jesus told us to do that? What? How in the world are we going to fulfill Jesus' great commission? Or maybe more accurately saying, how are we going to fulfill Jesus' great commission in the world? Like, how are we going to do that? It seems impossible. The task is too big. The the vision is too enormous. The size, the complexity, what it would take to pull that job off goes far beyond our puny, puny little abilities, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Well, the answer lies in the very last phrase of Jesus' great commission. As the Lord of heaven and earth, Jesus promises, right at the end of his commission, that he's going to be with us until the job is done. The last phrase is, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yes, the commission is immense. It goes beyond what you and I can imagine. It goes beyond our lifetime. The vision dwarfs us. We can feel overwhelmed. We can feel inadequate on a daily level, even just trying to help a few people find and follow Jesus, to, to walk in discipleship with, with, a, with, a, with a youth or with, with someone from work or, or someone that we met here at church. Uh, that can feel overwhelming. But more importantly than how vast the mission, more importantly than how more important than all the, the, the feelings of inadequacy we can have, we have got Jesus. We've got him. He's with us on the job. We can be confident that this job is going to be done because we have not been commissioned to go off and do this by ourselves. Jesus is with us. Jesus is leading us. This is key, I think. Jesus has not sent us out to fulfill his great commission as much as he's promised to go with us and lead us in fulfilling it. Do you hear that? Do you hear the difference? We've not been sent out there to go and do a job and Jesus sort of stands back and watches with his arms folded to see how we'll do. I think sometimes that's how we feel, right? On a daily level, we feel like, oh man, 
how do I be a good Christian? Or how do I love this person? Or how do I make disciples? What do I do? And we forget that it's not like Jesus is standing back there watching. He is with us. He's in us. He's leading us to the fulfillment of His great vision for the world. Well, let's go through this last phrase, just bit by bit, to kind of see how it challenges us and how it encourages us. The first word is surely. And I love the way that one starts because you know what it underscores for me? This is a guarantee from Jesus. This is a 100% guarantee. We can be sure of this because there's days when we wonder, right? There's days when we wonder, am I in this all alone? Or are we in this all alone? Could we ever see this through? And we have to hold on to the guarantee that Jesus has given us. Surely I am with you. Surely. This is my guarantee. I am with you. We can trust Him. Surely I am. Now that phrase, I am, if you've been reading the Bible even for a little while, that can start ringing some bells. Because that's the name of God. I am with you. And I think it reminds me at this stage when we're thinking of the vision, when we're thinking of the task, when we're maybe overwhelmed by the commission that we've been given, that it's Jesus himself who is with us, not some vague force, not some generic God, but Jesus the Messiah, the one who was born of Mary, the one who lived this sinless life of love, healing people and restoring people and including people and demonstrating with every word out of his mouth and with every action he took this perfect kingdom of God, this perfect love. This Jesus, this perfect man, this divine son of God, the one we see unfolded in the Gospels, this is the Jesus who is with us. And as we come to know him more and as we read and we we soak him in and we we, we pray and we receive from him, we come to know and understand that, that, that we ourselves have to have our own vision of who Jesus is and what he wants and how he's leading us reformed by Jesus himself. It's Jesus who is with us. And he's guaranteed that he's going to stick it out. The next phrase, surely I'm with you. Jesus is still... Remember, remember what he was called? We just came through Christmas. Remember what he was called as he was born? Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is still God with us. Jesus has promised to never leave us or forsake us. That we are the body of Christ on earth and he is our head and he's with us. And he's, he's with us in our lives. He's with us in our relationships. He's with us as a church. He's with you in your families. He's with you at home. He's with you at work. And as I already said, Jesus didn't go away and watch from a distance, but he's present by the Holy Spirit. And I think this is key because when I think of the whole making disciples enterprise, this commission we've been given, Jesus being with us means that Jesus is continuing to disciple us, right? Because how did Jesus disciple people? How did, how did he disciple his, his inner 12 and the others? He primarily spent time with them, right? He traveled with them. He walked down roads with them. He he went into people's homes with them. He sat around campfires with them. He went to the synagogues and the temple and he he went down by the river and up on the mountain. And if you've read the Gospels, he he constantly crossed the lakes all the time. He didn't get these guys on a boat. I don't know what that was. Maybe time away from the crowds. But he, he was with them, right? He traveled with them. And this promise that Jesus gives to be with us reminded me that Jesus continues to disciple us as he travels with us. You know, this challenge for us to go and make disciples means that 
Jesus, who is with us, continues to disciple us as we are making disciples. And, and maybe even more importantly, we realize that this whole making disciples venture means that we're actually just bringing people into this relationship that we're already in. We're being discipled by Jesus. And now they're being discipled by Jesus. And somehow together, Jesus is making us disciples as we're making others disciples. I know that can sound a little confusing, but this promise that he is with us is key. And not just today, and not just tomorrow, but surely I am with you always. His promise to never leave us or forsake us is really, really true. And I think for some of us, we need to let that phrase always really soak in. Because we feel like, yeah, he's with me today because I've been doing pretty well. But you know, when I mess up next week, when those dark thoughts start overwhelming me, when I make a mistake, when I, when I feel discouraged, then maybe Jesus will say, you know what, I've tried, and, and, and you're not catching up, so I'm leaving. I think some of us carry that, right? We feel like this, this, this presence of Jesus in our lives is kind of conditional. He says, surely I am with you some of the time. No, surely I'm with you till you die. Surely I'm with you, wow, as long as you're getting your act together. Does he say any of that? He says, surely I'm with you. Say it. Surely I'm with you. Always, right? Always. I think we need to leave that, let that soak into our hearts. Is there anywhere that He's not with you? He is with you when you're working. He's with you when you're changing diapers. He's, he's with you when you're slogging it out in a job you aren't sure you want. He's with you when you're driving down the road. He's with you when you're talking with your kids. He's, he's with you when you're sleeping. He's with you when you're angry. He's with you when you're depressed. He's with you when you're incredibly joyful. He's with you always. We've got to hold on to that. Surely I am with you always. And then here's, here's where it gets mind-blowing to me. Not just in your lifetime. Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In case we've forgotten the immensity of the vision for the world that we're in on. In case we've forgotten that Jesus' view of us, the church, and Jesus' view of the world is so much bigger than us. This little phrase at the end reminds us that Jesus has a picture in his mind of a multi-ethnic, multilingual, vast crowd, too many to count, of people, kings and priests, from every tribe and language and nation and people spreading through all of human history, stretching into the future. And it reminds us that this commission we've been given doesn't just apply to today or tomorrow or next week. It's you're in on a bigger vision than you will ever see fulfilled in this lifetime. You'll see it fulfilled. This is a big vision we're in on. It, 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 it goes past your life. It, it's it's going to exceed the life of your kids. And the life of your kids' kids. The life of those future generations who don't even know who you are and won't. Well, maybe now with Facebook they will. Uh, You know, this is a big vision we're in on. And Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm with you, Jack. I'm with you, Rudy. I'm with you, Sylvie. I'm with you, Erickson Covenant Church. I'm with you, my people. Always, to the very end of the age. I'm with you. This vision reaches forward, extending into the ages that lie ahead. Jesus is going to see his commission fulfilled through his disciples as the church continues to make disciples. Today, tomorrow, and into the generations to come. Disciples making disciples making disciples. 
so that this vast crowd continues to grow of people who have come to know the freedom and the life and the goodness of Jesus. We see at the end here that Jesus is not only Lord of heaven and earth, but he's the Lord of space and time as well. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus says, I've commissioned you for a task that I'm going to see through to the end. You play a crucial, important, significant role. But the vision's far too big than any one of us is going to pull off. But together, under the leadership of Jesus, filled with his Holy Spirit, Jesus said, I'm filling, fulfilling my commission in you from now until kingdom come. Well, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us personally? What does it mean for us as the church? I think the biggest thing is we can be supremely confident. We don't always feel confident, right? We don't always look around and feel like, wow, there's another success, there's another win, there's another, you know. We don't feel like that often, right? We feel like, wow, I'm being faithful and it's a struggle. I see, I see, see God at work, but then in other areas of my life, I'm struggling. You know, I see, I see change happening, but then I look over there and there's brokenness. And we can feel discouraged. And I think what this reminds us of is that Jesus has a big vision for us, for the world. And he has promised to see it through. And so, especially on those days when we feel like my vision's kind of clouded here, we can be confident because Jesus is leading us. Because Jesus is going to see it through. We can be confident because remember the words that Paul wrote to one of the small churches, probably a church about this size, in the city of Philippi. He said he was confident of this, that he, God, who had begun a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He had this confidence that, man, what God starts, he finishes. What Jesus has started in you, he's going to finish. And so it gives us incredible confidence. Over the last, uh, you know, this five-week series, we've received, I think, a big challenge as a church from Jesus. A big challenge to come under the authority of Jesus, to, to let him shape our priorities, the priorities of our lives, our families, our community. We've been given this huge task that applies to each and every follower of Jesus without exception. We need to get in, we need to get on us, we need to get to work. And that, I think that's the challenge that we hear from this Great Commission. But we don't do any of that in our own strength. We don't operate under our own power. Only in the power of the Holy Spirit, being led by Jesus himself, will we ever see men coming to know Jesus. Will we ever see women baptized into the triune name of God? We will... Never see the boys and the girls and the families and the peoples of this world, of this valley, coming to know Jesus and seeing his life and teaching transform their lives if we just do it in our own strength. We will only see it begin to happen around us in our lives as we follow the leading of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've been commissioned by Jesus to make disciples. That's true. But when we begin to understand that Jesus is actually leading us we begin to realize that little word commission. We've been co-missioned. Emphasis on the co. This is a co-mission. Together, under the leadership of Jesus, filled by the Holy Spirit, we have been sent to make disciples, which really, when you break it down, as we've been trying to do, just means that you and I are committed with all of our hearts to helping people find and follow Jesus. 
We're inviting them to join us as we follow Jesus. We're doing that throughout our lives. We're doing that in the dailiness of just living a faithful Christian life in the valley where we live in. Helping people find and follow Jesus. And knowing that as we do that, Jesus is fulfilling in us his great vision for the world. A vision that's greater than you and I could ever grasp, and yet something that we're so significantly part of. To see the men and the women and the boys and the girls, not only of this valley, not only of this province, not only of this country, but of the entire world, coming to know the God who loves them, the Son who has redeemed them, and the Spirit who longs to fill them with purpose. Jesus is leading us. The question is, are we going to let him? Are we going to get in? Are we going to say, Jesus, knowing that you are the King of heaven and earth, I'm going to follow you to the end of the age and let you use me to bring about your vision in the world. That's our challenge. Let's pray. Jesus, we're, I think, stunned by the size of your vision and I think humbled by the fact that you have called us into the fulfillment of this vision. We do not feel up for the job. We do not feel like we have the gifts or the capacity to do this. And we're thankful that you've allowed us to participate in significant ways and that you've promised to lead us and to guide us and to fill us with your Holy Spirit so that people can hear about the good news of Jesus, so that people can come to know your love and your power and your freedom through us. It's unbelievable. When we look at the size of the task, we think that's impossible, but we're reminded of your own words. You said, yeah, with humans, that is impossible. But with God, anything's possible. And this morning, Jesus, we stand beneath your commission. We lift you up as the King of heaven and earth who has authority over us and over our lives and over our church. And Jesus, we simply ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would take confidence knowing that you are with us, and that in the days and weeks and months ahead, we would be led by you to help others find and follow Jesus. For 2015, the next 11 months, we want to see men and women, boys and girls, rescued from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of your Son. We want to pull off the greatest heist of all time as your love is poured out into people's lives. And they come to see how valued they are and how precious they are because you love them. Ask that you would lead us and guide us as a church. You would give us wisdom in decisions that we make. You would, you would grow our hearts for the valley. You would fill us up with your spiritual gifts and you would give us the courage to serve. The courage to lay ourselves down for each other. You'd fill us with a vision of what you're doing right here at the Erickson Covenant Church and ways that you're calling us to serve each other and to pursue your priorities here in this church and in this valley. But I pray that as we do that, we'd be continually coming back to your vision for the world and the confidence we can have in you that you are with us. You will never leave. That you are with us always to the very end of the age. And because of that, we can lay it all down and follow you. We pray that your grace and your power and your life would fill us. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.